episode 110 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is uh, Sergio Sover. I am currently a pilot for Delta Airlines, originally from uh, Lima, Peru. Avi Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to episode number 110 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Now, a couple of months ago, it might have been a year ago by now, I don't really remember, but I released an episode with Marlon Days. And at that time, he was the youngest pilot that I knew of and pretty much what everyone knew of to fly for Delta. Well, today we are hearing from someone that has beaten Marlon. Welcome, Pilot Sergio. Pilot Sergio has an incredible story and one where he had this goal and did everything he could to make it there. So I'm very excited to hear his story and just just tell you guys and have him share how he got to Delta at such a young age. It's an incredible feat. It's an incredible thing. And it's something that hopefully we'll see again in the future once hiring picks back up and whenever that may be. Um, Aviation, I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. We have 521 reviews at the time that I'm recording this. That is incredible. Thank you so much for everyone that has left a review. If you want to support the podcast, there are a couple ways you can do that. You can head over to our website, pilotthepilothq.com. We have links to everything, Patreon, buy me a coffee, and our shop as well, where you can get hats, pre-order new hats, and uh, we have some shirts and sticker packs. Aviation, I hope you enjoy this podcast. I really, really do. Pilot Sergio has a great story, and it is one for people to listen to and kind of strive to do the same. So it's a great story and i'm really excited to share it with you so without any further ado here's pilot sergio sergio what's going on man welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast hey how's it going it's going well man thanks for coming on i'm excited to talk to you today it's a pleasure to talk to you and yeah. uh, i'll be finally in the podcast with you all right so i have to to start out you mentioned that you are at delta and you got hired at delta very very young isn't that correct Yep, uh, 23. Is when 23. I did my so you beat, I don't know if you listened before, but I, I talked with Marlon Days and he was the youngest person I've ever talked to. I was at Delta and he was 24. So I think you officially beat him as the youngest pilot at Delta. I'm a, I'm a good friend with Marlon. I actually uh, got to, got the chance to uh, meet him uh, when I was in training in the training center. A great guy, and uh, we keep in touch quite a bit. Yeah, Marlon's a man. He's a. Uh, I'm gonna give him a hard time. Be like, yo, man, I don't know if I can follow you anymore. <laughs> You're not the the youngest, coolest dude I know at Delta anymore. Marlon, Marlon's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Marlon's a good dude. But yeah, anyways, let's go ahead and I want to take it back. Take it back kind of to the beginning. Uh, you're from Lima, Peru. Uh, you are a pilot now. Where did that love of aviation? Where did the bug for aviation come from? I think it started you know, at a pretty young age. My mom used to work for a um, department store and she would travel you know, all over the world. Um, she was a furniture uh, manager and uh, she did all the, the buying for the store. And she, her job would take her to, to Asia, to Europe, and she would accrue flight miles. And um, it was often a practice for us to every summer when I was in vacation to travel all over the world. And I was pretty fortunate to have such opportunity. And just by doing it, I actually fell in love with uh, aviation. You know, my favorite part of the trip was always to uh, peek into the flight deck and talk to the pilots, and it just started growing and growing. How old were you when you when you can like first remember you wanting to be a pilot, or maybe you even just uh, your love of aviation? Do you remember like the age? It had to be you know six, seven years old. Uh, I was pretty young. I remember uh, my grandma had a trip here to the U.S. for vacation, and she it was about to be my birthday, and she asked me, "Hey, what do you want for your birthday present?" and uh, 
you know, Peru, we, you know, we're back, we're not as, as technology, we're not as advanced. And uh, I, I asked her for a flight simulator, flight simulator 2002, I think it was uh, from Microsoft, the video game. And she brought it back and I was just like in love with that thing, playing all day, you know. So it had to be a young age. Yeah. How old were, what year was it when you were playing Microsoft 2002? Uh, damn, it had to be like 04. 04, okay. So it's not as outdated. I thought it was going to be like 2010. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, what? So yeah, growing up in Lima, Peru, what's the, the aviation kind of culture, the life, general aviation? What's the community like in Lima? So, I mean, just like most countries that are not the United States, general aviation is not as developed. It's uh, pretty small. Uh I, uh, from what I understand, there's one big flight school and, uh, maybe two or three smaller flight schools, uh, definitely not the resources here as far as, uh, putting money into developing it. But, um, we have a pretty big airline there, which is LAN and now it's, uh, combined with, uh, TAM. So it's LATAM. It's the biggest group down there in South America. And, um, the path is kind of, you, you get your commercial pilot certificate with 250 hours and then you get on as a first officer most likely on the A320 uh, for uh, for LATAM. Nice. And then would you say it's pretty like people you grew up with, do they know that they can be pilots there? Do they think you'd be like the smartest kid in the world or what's kind of the path? What's the process? Say you stayed in Lima. What was the process for you or your friends or anyone in there to, to become a pilot? Like, I guess what I'm asking, is it pretty common for people to become pilots there? Is it pretty rare? I'd say uh, it's 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 not as common because it's still pretty expensive and Peru is still a third world country. Uh, so resources definitely play a factor. Uh, we don't have university degree programs out there, just uh, like here in the United States. So uh, you, you don't need a degree to work for an airline. You just get your hours, you get your ratings, and then uh, you apply to the airline. Uh, so, you know, cost of flight training, I, I would say it's about... 50k over there uh, to get it all done from uh, from student pilot to uh, to your commercial, and you know, they offer loans and scholarships, but uh, but it's definitely not as as common to be a pilot as here. Yeah, and most people that become pilots, do they kind of stay the route and stay in Peru and fly and fly for the 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 airline there, Latam, or do they move on like you did and try to come to the states? What's kind of the the route for them? <laughs> So a lot of them stay. Uh, what I started seeing a few years ago is they would uh, they would gain the wide body experience with LATAM on the 767 on the right seat, and then they would apply to Emirates or Qatar and uh, end up in um, in one of those places. Uh, I know a few friends who did that, and they're they're actually enjoying it. You know, it's for some people. Some people won't, wouldn't do it uh, at all, but uh, but the ones that I know are enjoying it and uh, they build their families there and they plan to continue there and stay there, upgrade to captain, just do a career over there. Yeah. So what, what was your route? What was, uh, obviously you're in, you're in Peru, you're flying flight simulator. What was next after, what were the steps that you took after that to kind of get to where you are today? So I graduated um, high school and um, I knew I wanted to come here to the U.S. Uh, to pursue a degree in aviation. So I started just doing research online about opportunities. Uh, I came across with, you know, the few uh, top universities here in the U.S. with accredited programs. I stumped upon uh, Riddle, which is where I uh, ended up graduating from. And um, I applied. I uh, got admitted. I did all the admissions paperwork from back home. I never touched campus until my first day I was actually there. And uh, I was fortunate to have some scholarships because of uh, my high school grades and what I did in high school, which uh, helped my my financial situation to be able to afford it. Um, 
I moved you know, from uh, Lima to Daytona. And uh, that was the story for the next uh, four years. And you know, my plan was originally to come back to Peru and uh, work there because all my family is still there. But uh, the, the situation changed. I saw the opportunity here in the U.S. of how the industry was starting to trend and I decided to, to stay. What was, have you been to the States before? Was it your first time even coming to the States or do you, do you come visit here pretty often? I, uh, I came here quite a bit to, you know, Disney World as a kid uh, on the summer vacation, but, uh, but just to Florida, I wasn't really, uh, you know, familiar with, uh, any state outside Florida. Was it a culture shock when you came here, when you were actually living in the United States and you're actually going to college with a bunch of just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just a bunch of people that you're not really used to, maybe a different culture. Was it different? It was, it was, it was definitely different. Uh, I think what made it quite smooth of a transition is there's such diversity, uh, you know, at the university I went to at Riddle, we have people from all over the world. So it was nice to have friends from not only Peru, but, uh, from South America. And, uh, it was a nice mix of, of, uh, cultures and, uh, we, we all got along and it just made it like a family. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really good. And it makes it really comfortable, especially when you're leaving home and home for you was very far away compared to home for other people. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's six hour flight from Miami. It's, it's definitely far. What was, uh, what was your training like? What was Riddle like? Did you enjoy it? I did. Uh, I did. I think I took the most out of it. Um, I, uh, didn't go home at all during those four years. I stayed every summer to take classes and fly because I just wanted to graduate, get my, my hours and get it done. So uh, my family would come over to visit me uh, during Christmas, but uh, I was just, you know, there to, to, to knock it out and get it done as, as, as quickly as I could. When did you get all your, your ratings and hours done? Because I know some people talk about 141 and getting done pretty quick, but college, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on. You got classes, you got other stuff, but were you able to get most of your training done flying-wise within uh, the first year or two? Yeah, so I uh, I was able to get most of it done by my second year, and then I became a part-time instructor and then a full-time instructor, and I was still taking classes. What what kind of degree did you get from Embry? I got a... Um, Aeronautical science degree, okay. the flying degree. So yep. the aeronautical science degree is kind of based on you getting all your ratings, correct? Correct. All right, cool. Yeah, when I was at, I went to Ohio State and they had two different options. They had the aeronautical science and they had um, just a business, kind of a business major that you could do that was tied in with the school. But mm-hmm. the aeronautical science one, you had to get all your degrees. And what's different from Florida and Ohio is the weather is absolutely terrible. <laughs> so it would take you double, if not like triple the time to get your ratings done. So people could be there for an extra year. They could be there for an extra semester just waiting for the weather to get better. So if you want to go fly, you definitely need to go to Florida, down south or Arizona. It will, it will definitely make your life easier. Yep. Yeah. What was, uh, so what was it like flying? I mean, obviously you, since you're six and seven, you're playing Microsoft flight simulator, you knew you had this love for aviation. What was it like when you actually got to fly? Was it an immediately you fell in love or were there some hesitations? Like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I, I, I think I fell in love pretty quickly with it. Uh, and, uh, I, I enjoyed it since, uh, my very first flight. I had a great instructor. My, my first instructor was awesome and, uh, it, it made it super easy for me to, uh, to um, get through the the course, I went through several flight instructors through the course of my private, just because of how quickly the instructors were leaving the university to go to the regionals. But um, I, I, you know, I, I never hesitated uh, to say, "Hey, it's not for me." Uh, I definitely had some struggles along uh, my private, just like anybody else, and it's all about learning from those mistakes and overcoming them and uh, 
just uh, keep pursuing what you'd love to do. Yeah. And it's really interesting because some people that go to part 61 schools don't really understand, or maybe they do, but not to the extent that most part 141 schools, you're changing instructors pretty frequently, whether they're leaving or whether they just want to kind of mix it up. Because I know where I went to school every single quarter, every single semester, you got a new instructor. Was that the same at Embry-Riddle or could you keep the same instructor as long as you're still there? They they would try to, you could request it. They would try to pair you with the same instructor. But, uh, you know, what happened is, let's say you, you were doing your private and you had a private instructor and the next semester that instructor got upgraded to teach commercial or teach CFI and you would just lose him. So, uh, you know, they would do their best, but it was, it was hard to keep you with the same guy. How difficult is it going from different instructors? Cause I found it pretty difficult because once I finally got, once the instructor finally figured out how I learned or once we finally got to a point where we had a really good flying relationship or working relationship or student, the teacher, whatever, then it, it was like about time like to, to go up. Maybe they got a commercial, maybe they got a new job, but it's like, well, no, I just got used to them. Like, I don't want to get another flight instructor and have to go through this again. Yeah, it's not easy because, I mean, you do have a set of, uh, you know, the TCO, the training course outline, and all instructors should be referring to it and training students the same way. But each instructor will definitely have his own uh, you know, method to teach. And uh, it's it's a lot on the student to uh, be flexible as well. and. Um, put his work to, to, to be able to, to bond with the instructor. And if the pairing is not working out, seek for your manager, training manager, whoever to find you a new instructor. If if you feel like it's not a fit for you and uh, ultimately you have to to look what's best for you and for your training. Absolutely. You eventually, you, if you don't, if it's not working out with that instructor, you eventually just have to be like, yo, I'm sorry, this isn't working out. It's not you. It's not me. It's just, we need to see, see other people essentially. Right. And it happened to me, you know, how difficult was it to make that call to tell the instructor like, Hey, this isn't working out. I think for any, for any student, especially when you're just starting, it's something that you, you, you don't want to do because you don't know how your training manager and instructor is going to take it. You don't know how, uh, maybe the new instructor you get is friends with uh, your old instructor and he's going to look at you in a weird way. So uh, it's not an easy call. I, I would say try to exhaust every possibility possible to uh to be able to make it work but um just uh follow your gut and talk to your training manager to find the best solution you know yeah i agree and you mentioned that you had some struggles or there were some struggles with your private do do you remember specifically what you actually struggled with or was it just kind of just all of it coming together Uh, i'd say it was uh the first uh third of the course uh landings crosswind landings that's what uh, i struggled the most with i went from a morning flight block my first semester to an afternoon flight block. So when we flew in the mornings at 6 a.m., there was no wind. You know, the atmosphere is so stable. The weather is perfect. And I was greasing the landings. The next semester, I had a 4 p.m. flight block with all the gusts and, you know, the thunderstorms. I was I was having a hard time with, with crosswind landings. And that's something that I never thought would happen. Uh, it took a, a little bit of time to get used to. Um, and... I eventually got it, you know, to where I, my instructor wanted them to be and signed me off for my check ride. Yeah, there's a big difference between uh, Florida morning flying and Florida afternoon flying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dude, those thunderstorms are rough. <laughs> yeah, we, we you would get canceled a lot for yeah. thunderstorms, you know. Absolutely. I interviewed a hurricane hunter, I don't know, it was probably a year or two ago, and she actually said that her crew and the people in the back of the plane thought the turbulence and the ride was worse and summer pop-up thunderstorms in Florida than it was going through hurricanes. 
current or hurricanes. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Um, it's intense. I don't know how they get to do that though. I, my, my, uh, now that you mentioned that my sim partner here for training here at Delta, he, uh, he's a hurricane hunter too. And oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's intense, man. That's uh, I mean, that's like a really cool kind of way to, to fly and to make a living, but I don't know if I could do that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I would go nuts. Yeah, it's like when I see a thunderstorm, I immediately want to deviate. When they see a hurricane, they immediately want to penetrate. It's like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, all right, so you're still at Embry-Riddle right now. You were able to get, it sounds like you got your training done pretty quick. Uh, I mean, like you said, first two years and you're able to instruct part-time, then full-time. What was the, no one really talks about this, but what are the difficulties in going from a uh, 250 hour riddle? I don't know how many times when you got your commercial check or when you actually had your commercial rating, but making the tra- transition from commercial to CFI, what was difficult about that? Was it, how do you like learn how to teach people? How do you feel comfortable teaching people when you just have such little amount of time? Right. So I think what helped me a lot is, uh, on my sophomore year, so before I, I started working on my CFI, I was still working on my commercial. I got a job to um, tutor students at, uh, we had we, we had what we call a tutor lab in the College of Aviation. And uh, I worked there on my time off um, and just uh, teach students who would come to, to us to um, help them with their with their class assignments or projects or clarification on, on a subject for a class. So I think that really helped me to start developing you know, my teaching ability and those skills. Uh, and then when I uh, started my CFI training, I did what we call a fast track program. So they offer this program every summer. Um, and it's a three month program at the university that you get your CFI and your double I done. And you're absolutely doing nothing else but flying every day, six hours um, from Monday through Friday. You're not taking any classes and you're just busting through all the modules. And uh, it's pretty intense. It's a lot of work to get all the, you know, the lesson plans done and everything in that short amount of time. But uh, at the same time, I think it, it really helped too because I was practicing every day the maneuvers. I was teaching every day. So it was not like I was dragging the course through the through the span of a semester or two semesters and having, you know, one activity a week or two activity a week. I was exposed to it every day. And uh, that that really helped. Yeah, uh, that definitely helps. It's, uh, it's hard going from understanding a subject to teaching someone else to understand a subject because you might understand it and it might be as easy and plain as day to you, but the way you explain it to someone else, they might be like, uh, what did you just say? Yeah, I, I mean, and I think the best way and um, to do it is just to, you know, teach somebody who doesn't know anything about aviation. If you have friends that are not involved in aviation or family and they're willing to take the time and listen to you and you explain a subject to them and they get it at the end of your lesson, you did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. And it's also hard because you don't know what they don't know. You know, it's like there's... You don't know how far you need to dumb it down until you you're more into into tune with you as an, yourself as an instructor, and you can kind of read a situation. You can read and pick up when someone knows or doesn't know something. Yeah, and there are barriers in addition to that because I mean, with the amount of international students a university had, you have students who English is not their first language. That's my case, and so some words may mean something for you. I might not understand another word that you're saying, and that adds to the complexity of of the whole lesson, right? Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point. When you came to Embry Riddle, how strong were you in English? Was it pretty pretty common for you to have some kind of confusing moments with uh, maybe someone that spoke English a little bit differently than you expected, or communication was just a little bit off? It was uh, ATC for me at the beginning was uh, 
was challenging and uh, it, it just took extra practice and the average guy to to get it. Um, but it's it's part of uh, what you sign up for when you you know go to another country. You know you're going to have uh, an additional challenges. And um, I think I was fortunate. I went to a school in Peru where uh, they taught English to me since I was a small kid, and that helped. But I had friends who uh, who had to do like a year of just English at Embry Riddle at the university before they could actually start their flying degree to. Uh, because their English was not good enough. Yeah, it's crazy. That's just another struggle. And I mean, it's, it's hard enough moving to a new country. It's even harder to, to learn and master a language that you're not natural with. And then on top of that, you have to make friends. You have to, to pass your classes. You have to learn how to fly. Like that's a lot to handle and just uh, when you're 18 or 19 years old. Right. That is, that's for sure. Um, when you were in your training, did you ever regret coming to Embry-Riddle? Did you ever think, man, I wish I would have just stayed in, in Peru and gone training that way and gone to fly? Didn't you need, I didn't need a degree or were you all never even thought about that? You're just focused on what you're doing. I don't think I, I did. Um, like I said, my plan was to come back uh, to Peru. And I knew that even if, if I didn't need a degree, a degree would serve me well if I eventually wanted to go back to Peru and work in a management position at uh, our airline back there. Uh, it was definitely going to be a plus. I think, uh, you know, anywhere in the world, uh, Embry-Riddle is a university that's recognized. Uh, at one point, I doubted if I should do CFI or not because... I said, well, if I'm going to go back to Peru, I don't, I don't need the hours. I don't need to build a thousand hours. So what am I doing CFI for? And, uh, I, I wasn't sure if it was the best decision to do it. Um, but I was just going along because I still had credits to do. I still had, um, classes to take. And by the time I was about to graduate, I already had the thousand hours. And I said, well, if I already have thousand hours, I'm graduating, might as well stay here, um, and apply to a regional here. Yeah, that was actually leading me to my next question. As you mentioned that you your original plan was to go back to Peru, was to go fly for for your kind of country airline, and then it did change. Well, was it exactly what you said? It's like, well, I already have a thousand hours. I'm already qualified for a regional airline here, so why not just stay here? Or was it a more difficult decision and not going back home? Because like you said, you have family there, you have friends there, you're comfortable there, you know what to expect there. It was it was a mix of the two. Um, like I said, so by my sophomore year, I got my my commercial, and I I thought to myself, well, I'm not I'm not just gonna stop flying for the next year and a half, two years. I still have to go to get my classes done. I'm gonna lose all proficiency. I don't want to stop flying. So the only way for me to keep flying was to get CFI done and start um, and start teaching. And then, you know, the family part of it, um, you know, my parents have been all, always uh, extremely supportive with my decisions. And um, it was a conversation we had about what was best for my future. Um, and uh, I explained to them how the industry was starting to turn here, like I mentioned. And they, they said, well, if it's what you want to do, um, you know, we'll, we'll support you. And uh, I'm happy I made it. I go back and forth quite often to visit them, thankfully. I have the, the opportunity. They have the opportunity with the flight benefits and it, it works great. What was uh, what was the process like for you as someone that's not uh, an American citizen? How did you how did you get the chance to fly for a region? I don't think I even know. Did you have to get a green card? Did you have to apply for like a work visa? Obviously, you had a student visa already. What was the process for you? I know it's, it's right. a little bit more difficult than say someone that grew up here just to go apply and then it, and then it works. 
So with me, uh, how it worked is I was fortunate. My, my, my father was actually born in the United States. My grandparents emigrated from Peru uh, when they were young uh, for a job opportunity here. And he was born here. And then they came back to Peru, uh, all of them. So because of him having um, the U.S. citizenship, uh, we did all the paperwork in the Peruvian embassy in Peru. And I automatically got a U.S. citizenship. That's awesome. That, that's I, a, yeah. Yeah, that helps out a lot. <laughs> It's yeah, it's, it's an opportunity many people wish they they would they would have, and um, you know, I don't know with the current situation, but uh, I I was thinking, you know, with a pilot shortage, maybe the United States is going to have to uh, allow some some pilots from abroad who would love to have the opportunity to come here and get a job here in the, in the airlines. Yeah, it might have been heading that way before uh, all the virus uh, started affecting our industry. I mean, we definitely needed pilots pretty bad. And I think that they're open and they may might have been starting those conversations to, to look abroad and see what they could get. But obviously now, who knows what the future is going to hold with how we're recording this right now in the middle of the coronavirus situation. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Definitely, definitely want to see what happens. Uh, I, you know, have a few friends not only in Peru who but who fly for airlines in Ecuador and Chile, and um, they are unemployed. You know, they they don't have job opportunities there. So uh, any about, opportunity. I was just about to ask how are how is it affecting uh, airlines in South America? Is it affecting them a little bit harder than it is in the states? Uh, they they have um, received pay cuts, just like you know our, our reductions. Um, the uh, airlines back there are, are not government funded. They are private. And um, I think um, they're struggling just like we are. Um, the governments down in South America have established the same uh, restrictions or even harder restrictions than here in the U.S. as far as travel, even domestic travel. So the airports are essentially closed. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I my wife's friend was down somewhere. It might've been Ecuador. It might've been, I don't know exactly where it was, but they, they mentioned how they need to take more drastic situations just because their healthcare system isn't anywhere near what say Italy was or the States is. So they need to make sure they're super precautious. So hit the breakout doesn't harm them even worse than what did in other countries. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, uh, resources are limited uh, economically and uh, the healthcare system still has a lot to improve uh, in many of the South American country. So yeah, they have to be extra careful. Yeah. Well, let's get back. Let's not talk about that too much, <laughs> but let's get back to you. How, how old are you when you, when you got your commercial, what age were you and what age were you when you hit a thousand hours? So I was uh, 18 when I got my commercial and, um, I, uh, must have hit a thousand hours, uh, about to turn. It was, I was definitely 20. Yeah. So I was just waiting to turn, uh, 23 to, to start at the regionals. So put in perspective, you got your commercial rating before I even knew I wanted to fly and you got, you, you reached 1000 hours before, or maybe right around the same time I took my first flight lesson. (laughs) (laughs) When was that? What year? Uh, It would have been, well, I was 20 years old. So that's what it would have been. So it would have been in 2010. So you were still way too young by then, but (laughs) that's when uh, I first took my first flight lesson. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, same age. We're a little bit different in uh, where you are, but that's awesome. I mean, people listening to this are going to be jealous of of how many hours you have and, and how far along you are and the job you have and the experiences that you've had. But don't let it take away from how hard you work because, I mean, you had to put yourself in those situations. You have to create your own luck in this industry and you have to really grind. And I mean, there's like two ways you can go when you're, when you're in college. You know, you can kind of, I mean, you, I'm sure you still had fun. You still hung out with your friends. But if you really grind and go out and you have a goal and you go reach that goal, you can make it happen at a very, very young age if you really want to. And it sounds like that's something that you did. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. You have to work hard. You have to, to put the, the effort and uh, the results will come. What was, all right, so commercial rating, you're instructing. Uh, we talked a little bit about instructing. Did you enjoy it overall? Are you glad you did it? I know there's a little bit of hesitation of why do I, why should I instruct when I can just go back to Peru and go fly, but did you enjoy it overall? I did. I, I have, a, I had a good time. Um, I, I was able to, um, to teach, uh, you know, instrument. I was able to teach uh, commercial. I was able to teach uh, CFI and, uh, um, by far, I think that the course I enjoyed to teach the most was instrument. I enjoyed it the most as a student as well. And, um, I had a great time. Yeah. Um, how long did you, how many years did you instruct for? As soon as you graduated, were you out the door and out of regional or do you wait a little bit longer? I, uh, I was, yeah, as soon as I graduated and turned, uh, 23, I think a week after my 23rd birthday, I was sitting at Republic for new hire class. That's awesome. Why did you choose Republic? Was there any, was it just the first one to hire you or did you like the way they operated? What was, uh, what, what attracted you to Republic? I, um, I've been following them for a while. Uh, they had, uh, the Miami base, which, uh, I wanted at first, uh, just because of how easy it is to get to Peru back and forth from Miami. I wanted to live in Miami. And, uh, then I felt like it was a well-structured airline. Uh, I, uh, interviewed with them while I was still, I was in even a CFI, I think when I interviewed with them, I, I they were just, uh, you know, out there in a career fair and I became a cadet with them. And then I officially, when I, they came over the next year and I was already an instructor, I talked to them again and they said, when you get your hours, uh, come on board. And, uh, that's what happened. Oh, for you, it wasn't necessarily your hours too, is when you're old enough. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, I already have hours, man. Hire me now. It's like, oh, we got to wait a little Let's bit. Let's go. Yeah, that's funny. What was your experience at Republic? I know that you, like you said, you did your, your research and you had your reasons for going there. I've had friends go there and they seem to really enjoy it. Some of them have told me that some of their training is better than some of the other airlines they move on to. And they just really enjoyed the way they operated, the way there wasn't really junior manning. You know, you had a little bit more kind of uh, freedoms that you don't have at some other regionals. I loved it. Quality of life, um, it was awesome. I had... Um you know, great flexibility with my schedule. Uh, towards the end, I was just doing day trips. So I was just uh, doing turns. I was not uh, away from my house, maybe more than twice a month. I was picking up turns from Miami to Key West and back. And that was a 30 minute flight there, 30 minute back. And my day was over. Uh, it was, it was a great time. Training department is excellent. And I still keep in touch with many of the recruiters, uh, there and, uh, the people there because they're, it's, it's a nice family. It's a tight family. It's a tight community. And, um, and, um, I, I keep them in my heart because, uh, they gave me great opportunities to, to do many things uh, as far as recruiting and getting involved with them on social media and a lot of, uh, aspects that, um, I, I enjoy doing. Yeah. I've been uh, doing some work with uh, them and partnering with them with their flight school lift. And I've, it, it sounds like a great option for people. Once this all comes back, I feel like Lyft will still be a good option. Going to Republic is still a good option. And I think they set you up pretty well for, I know they don't have any flows, but they set you up pretty well to, to kind of go out there in the world and, and to be a pilot at other companies, you know? They do. And uh, with, you know, you bring the point of Lyft, uh, many of the flight attendants I flew with when I was there, um, it's an opportunity for them to uh, maybe pursue a career in aviation. They offer them financing options. They offer them, you know, discounts because they are already Republic employees. And uh, I know a few that uh, made it through this election process and are, they're working on their, uh, awesome. on their private and their ratings. Yep. That's so cool. Yeah. I've heard some really cool stories about flight attendants wanting to go on to, to fly for the airlines and, and making it happen. And I think that's so cool to, to see that dream come true and to see them uh, make that, that transition. 
I think it's never too late. You know, if you have the, the passion, do it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so, so you're at Republic right now. How long were you at Republic for? How many years? It was just over two years. Okay. So you're there for two years. So you got hired at 23 or no, how, what, how old were you when you got hired at Republic? I was 23. Correct. 23. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then you're at Republic for... Th- oh, correction, 21. Sorry. Yeah. So you're 21. I was going to say. So you're there for two years, 21 to 23. What was your mindset when you're at Republic? Were you like, all right, I need to get... I need to upgrade. I need to get a thousand hours. I need to... Uh, what were you doing to put yourself in the best position possible to get hired at the next step? So like you said, uh, Republic doesn't have a, a flow. Um, you know, flows today. A lot of uh, regional airlines have flows to majors. I knew that uh, because of not having a flow, I definitely had to put the work. And um, I started, you know, applied to uh, become a recruiter and a pilot interviewer with uh, Republic. Um, I um, uh, did some mentoring with, uh, I think you did a podcast with them. Uh, I'm a mentor for professional pilots of tomorrow. And uh, it was a great podcast that I listened to. Um, and then uh, the next step was uh, to to upgrade. Um, and uh, right about when I was about to upgrade and I got the uh, award letter, I uh, remember that I had applied to, um, you know, Spirit and um, they uh, offered me a, an interview and I decided to go to the interview and um, got selected. And I was a decision of whether or not to upgrade at Republic and uh or go to spirit. Uh, both I balanced the, the strengths and the weaknesses of both decisions. Ended up making the decision not to upgrade and uh, to to fly for spirit, and uh, that was what happened next. What were the pros and cons that you were listing out? Because obviously, you know, flying bigger metal, flying for spirit, that might look pretty good on your airline resume when you move on, or, or if some people stay at spirit for a lifetime. But also on the flip side, to get that captain experience is pretty pretty great as well, especially at 23, 22 years old. Yeah, so that was that was a great question I had, and I asked many people, uh, you know, in the industry and about what they they recommended me, why they suggested. Uh, many said if you go to Spirit, you're not going to get the PIC time, and uh, you're going to delay your path to the majors because it's going to take you longer to get to upgrade to captain at Spirit. Um, and many suggested to upgrade at Republic and stay there. Um, my thought process uh, of the benefits of going to Spirit is like you said, you're flying a bigger aircraft, uh, you're gaining more experience with international operations. The time I was there, I was able to do quite a bit of flying to uh, even Peru, uh, South America, Central America, the Caribbean, and um, you know, fly all over the U.S. as well. So diversify my uh, my knowledge in those operations and. Um, I also consider a career progression going from a regional to a major uh, airline, a low-cost carrier. Uh, is career progression. It shows you're trainable, you're motivated, you want to keep uh, growing in this industry. And I don't think there's a right or wrong choice. It's what fits you best at that specific point in time in your life. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think you can look at someone and kind of you can't listen to everyone and, and make them make the decision for you. You have to really look deep down and figure out why and what works best for you. Exactly. And that's a tough decision, like you said, especially when you were 22, 23, when you, there really wasn't a bad decision to make. It was just which one wasn't to get you where you wanted to get faster, right? Yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen in the future. You know, I mean, with this situation going on, they stopped all hiring and making that decision has nothing to do with what's going on right now. So do what's best for you, what you think it's best for your family. And um, just uh, be glad that you made that decision and um, continue working hard to the next step, uh, whether you made the decision to upgrade or to go to a, to a low-cost carrier. 
What was your experience at uh, at a low cost carrier like Spirit? Was it more than you? Was it better than you expected? Or was it about the same as you expected? Or was it a little different than you expected? I um, the training was excellent. Uh, you know, uh, great training. Um, it's actually, I would say, you know, most people out there in the industry and the airlines know that Spirit training is one of the hardest training programs. They only offer you a very small amount of simulator sessions before they get you typed on it. So. Uh, they expect you to show up day one with all the flows, profiles, uh, memory items memorized. Uh, they give you all the material ahead of time. They are not there to, to teach or babysit you. And uh, many people wash out of the program and they go back to their previous airline. So it takes work. Um, once I was done, though, I had a lot of fun flying for them. Great Czech airmen during IOE, great captains uh, down in the Fort Lauderdale base, which is where I was based uh, for the little while. And uh, it exceeded my expectations. They run a pretty efficient operation. Uh, they fly to South America. I had the uh, the dream that uh, I always had of flying myself to Peru. And I even had the chance to have my mom on board that day. Um, I, the captain let me take that leg and I landed. Uh, it was it was a dream come true for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, from an outsider looking in at Spirit, obviously what you might see is more of kind of what happens in the back of the plane, kind of the unruly passengers. I mean, I don't know how many there actually are, but those are kind of the experiences. And that's when I think of Spirit, that's what I think of. But there's also the other side of it where I've heard that the pilots are great. I've heard that the management is pretty good and I've heard that the training is pretty tough and it's pretty solid. So there, there it, some people don't get the full picture of what spirit can offer, you know, and I feel like sometimes they might get a bad rep. They, they do. They do. Um, you know, they have their, um, their situations out there. I, that headed a bunch with them in the back and you know, I agree with that really comment for sure. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the working environment was, was awesome. The pilots were awesome. Uh, and I have no complaints or negative comments about Spirit. I think I'm very grateful for the opportunity they gave me. Uh, and anybody considering them, I'll definitely say, um, you know, interview with them if you have the chance and get to know them a little bit better. Did you find yourself ever thinking maybe you could stay at Spirit forever? I, uh, I did. Uh, it's one of the interview questions they asked me, you know, they ask you, what do you think, uh, are you going to, are you going to continue applying or do you see yourself here at spirit? And I think it's a hard question to answer because nobody knows what you would do if you have an offer presented to you, you don't know where you're going to be in your life. Um, you know, the decision at my age now maybe would have been completely different 10 years down the road with a family and seniority and a captain at spirit with a captain pay. So it's, it's impossible to really tell somebody what, what are you going to do? Uh, but if it came down to staying at spirit, I think I would have, uh, I would have enjoyed holding Lima trips, going back home, having overnights in Lima. I mean, I, I think it would have been fun and, uh, I would have no problem flying the Airbus. Uh, it's a great plane. Like I said, great, uh, great pilots, great flight attendants, great working environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, too, that's what I've heard from other people. And it surprised me the first time I heard that because, I mean, like we talked about, the first thing I hear about is passengers throwing a fit in the back and just uh, some interesting things. But yeah, it, it does seem like, or I don't know if it is anymore or what the future is, but it did seem like a good choice and a good option for people to definitely go there and see if they like it. You know, give it a shot. Try it out. If you like Spirit, Spirit turns into the next Southwest and you made the best decision in your life. Or in your case, you can go there, you can get some time and you can keep your applications out there and you can move on to, to Delta, United, American or whatever you might wish to do. Yeah, that's the beauty of this career. Everybody yeah. has a different path.
What, um, how early did you apply to say the big three or Southwest? How early in your, your process did you put your applications out there? Yep. So, um, I had applications. So I started a Republic. Um, I probably went about six months at Republic to be honest without applying anywhere. And, uh, then I was like, okay, well, I have to get my, my, my stuff together. I have to build my application. And I applied to, uh, to Delta. I applied to United. I applied to JetBlue. And uh, I applied to Spirit. I am in sim training at Spirit, and I received the email from Delta. So it happened in a crazy time frame, and uh, it was it was hard to manage training at Spirit and preparing for the Delta interview at the same time. I had to do both because the Delta interview is no joke. I'm sure Marlon talked to you about it, but at the same time, I had my type training going on the, uh, on the Airbus that I did not want to fail because I didn't want a failure on my pre record and Delta two to see that I've just recently failed uh, a check ride. So it was a lot of pressure to, to handle both. Uh, it thankfully worked out and uh, I'm here today. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like you said, when you get the Delta interview, it's kind of like a game changer and it's like, it's nothing against spirit. It's just kind of the history of what Delta is and what they can offer or what they were able to offer at that time. And you kind of get that email and you're probably like, I'm sure that was probably one of the happier days of your life when you see that email like that pop up. It was, it was. The spirit instructors definitely saw something was off about me because I was too happy, you know, learning flows and he didn't understand what was going on until later. Yeah. Did they ask at all? Were they like, yeah, what's going on, man? <laughs> he did, he did. And uh, he, I still talk to him. Uh, I don't want to say his name, but he, he did. And, uh, and you know, he's happy and he's a great guy. Did you tell him why you're happy or did you keep it close to your chest? I did. Yeah. I told him. Yeah. That's crazy. That's got to be, I mean, they, yeah. In that situation, he would have probably have known and understood why you would leave. I'm sure they would want you to stay, but the age that you were and the, the future you had ahead of yourself out of Delta, you know, it was just kind of like, they can't blame you for it. They can't fault you for it. Right. You can't fault somebody for making that decision. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm sure they were not, you know, thrilled about it because they do spend money on new training and expect you to be there. Uh, but again, they have to look at you and your position. Yeah, they do. And you talk about the, the difficult kind of position that you're in. Obviously, you had a, a great opportunity, but you have to really buckle down. You have to really study for A, your check ride, because like you said, you don't want to fail check ride and go to Delta and be like, well, why'd you just fail your check ride? We don't want you coming here now. And then you also have to prepare hard enough for your interview so that you don't look like an idiot when you're in the interview with Delta, you know? So that had to be a really difficult kind of, uh, of juggling aspect right there. It was. I think it was the most stressful month, uh, two months of my life, to be honest. Uh, and... Um, but I, you know, I, I did my best, uh, and I showed to the interview as prepared as I could with all the amount of work I had already going on, and it worked out. Uh, they did ask in the interview uh, about Spirit. I told them the truth. You know, you, in this industry, you never lie. You always tell the truth. I told them what was going on. I told them the situation over there that I just got hired, and uh, they understood. For sure. What was the hardest part for you in the interview? Because I've heard about, obviously, I've never gone through a Delta interview myself, but I heard it's a little more intense than the other ones. What was the, the hardest part for you? Was it kind of just a mental thing? Like, I'm at Delta, I'm actually interviewing right now, or was it an actual technical aspect of it or the HR aspect of it or just what? So some people are stronger on the HR side. Some people are stronger on the technical side. I think I feel um, stronger on the HR side myself. And... Um, you know, you have to show up there confident that if they send you an invitation to interview with them, they want you there and it's up to you to prove them right or prove them wrong. 
And, um, you know, there are interview HR prep services, professional services out there. I didn't do any of them, uh, but I definitely dedicated a lot of my time on the technical side, on uh, the, studying the materials, because, you know, it's it's a bunch of testing you have to go through as far as aerodynamics and aeronautical testing and uh, concepts that I, you know, haven't reviewed for a while since I graduated college. And um, that's where I spend most of my days uh, reviewing for sure. As I say, obviously, so you answer my next question is you didn't use any kind of uh, someone helping you out with uh, to practice or anything like that. So what did you study? What did you do to prepare? Did you ask friends that have been at Delta? Did you read some forums? Did you or did you add, just reach out to people or what did you what what exactly did you study? So um, for for the technical part, there's some resources out there, companies who prepare you for the technical side for the HR I was just practicing, to be honest, myself, rehearsing uh, what I would, you know, my story, what I wanted them to know, um, my background. Each of us have a story to tell. Um, mine was certainly unique in the fact that I came from Peru and, and everything that I did at the university as far as, um, you know, some leadership I did at the flight department. And I wanted them to have the true Sergio. I didn't want them to have a rehearsed Sergio. Not saying any of the HR prep services out there are bad in any way, but uh, you still want to keep to yourself and keep to as authentic as you can be, you know? Definitely. And I'm sure the interviewers have done this long enough to know who uses a service and who doesn't use a service. And I'm sure if you can learn how to use a service, but also make sure you stay true to yourself and mix in your own personality, I'm sure that could be welcomed and I'm sure that can help out and help you stand out. They know. Yeah, they know. Like you said, they are experts. They've been doing this for so long. Yeah, Absolutely. What was, um, what was your experience at Delta? So you're at Spirit now, you're walking, the first day you walk through the front doors and you see the big widget or you see the big Delta sign, you see what, whatever it is that made you just like stop and go, oh my gosh. But what was kind of your first experience and your first thought when you walked through those doors? Um, you know, it's a company I've always uh, wanted to uh, work for uh, since I was a small kid um, and, and retired from. Um, it's... Uh, Definitely in the scale of operation, you see the difference between, you know, how a regional operates and a major. And then you, you, you see the Delta operation as far as the training. And it's just much well structured, I would say, in a way, um, because of how many pilots they have. Uh, so walking into the campus here in Atlanta, I mean, it was, it was um, a huge dream come true. Um, and it was just, you know, to give 100% of myself to, to training because... The fact that you're here doesn't mean that um, you know you can relax and not do well in training. You still have to put the same effort that you put when I went through the spirit training or the republic training. You know you can't relax just because you're hired here. It's the whole opposite. You know, give your your hundred percent and um, be the best pilot that you can be and that they hire you to be. What's it like being the youngest pilot in kind of a, a group setting? Or I, w- I mean, this is not the same, but where I was hired a couple of years ago, I was the younger pilot here. And uh, I mean, you were 23 and I was 28. Most of the people they hired, I'm sure it's similar to you, were, were in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. And just what was it like? Was it intimidating? Did you think you had something to prove being as young as you were? Or were you very confident and uh, kind, of, uh, kind of used to that and knew what to expect? I don't think I, I experienced anything different than anybody else experienced because, uh, you know, we are all, we were all in class because, uh, we deserve to be there. And, uh, some of us had some opportunities earlier than others, but that doesn't mean that somebody is better than the other. Uh, we're, you know, all equally qualified and, and, uh, we're all professionals. So I don't think anybody really gave me a, 
a hard time. Um, and it wasn't a topic that I brought up or anybody really brought up. People knew, uh, just humbling to know, to be, to be there and, um, to, you know, do the best, uh, I could. My, my same partner was already a Delta pilot who was transitioning from the MD-88 to, uh, the 737. And, um, we, we got along great. You know, he helped me a lot with all the Delta policies and procedures because he's already been in the company for a few years. And, um, it's a great experience. What? So that, that answers my next question too. You keep answering the question before I ask them. So you're on the 737 then? Uh, yeah, I was tra- I'm training on the 737. A training on the 737 right now. What, um, what was the thought process when you're going through a bidding? Obviously, you know how young you were. You knew the chances of you getting uh, the Mad Dog or the 717 were probably pretty great. Were you excited when you got the 737 and you had to fly the older airplane? I was. Yes, <laughs> I bet. I was. Is that rare? Someone of your age to not get stuck in that kind of plane? Um, yeah, things have changed recently because they were starting to offer the A320, the 737, the 220. So uh, with the with how the industry was starting to go, uh, they were starting to see some changes in the last few years as far as bidding goes. I was excited. Uh, I didn't want to fly the Airbus because I just came from flying the Airbus and I wanted to try something new. Um, so I think the 737 was a great opportunity to fly Boeing now, try Boeing. And, uh, I heard from, you know, I asked Marlon, I heard the 737 had great routes to the Caribbean. He's always having like layovers in the, you know, all these awesome yeah. resorts down He's there. He's always showing off on Instagram. We don't have to unfollow him. <laughs> so I was like, well, the 737 seems like the way to go now. Yeah, no, 737 seems like a, a good, I mean, I feel like that'd be a good first plane and it sets you up for success. It's a true and tried uh, to model type. I mean, obviously they've had issues with the Max, but I mean, historically the 737's done pretty well. Um, yeah, that's cool that you were able to get that plane. I remember when you got hired, I was like, oh no, he's going to have to fly the, the Mad Dog now. It's like, poor kid. <laughs> but yeah, flying the Mad Dog for Delta is probably okay. I think I'd be okay doing that. <laughs> They're about to retire them earlier than they thought. Now. I know, it's crazy. What, uh, so how's training been? So you've been through Republic, you've been through Spirit, and now you're, you're going through your Delta training. Uh, where does it rank? Is it about up there, there with all the same? Would you say that they're all kind of similar or is one harder than the other? Uh, just because of the compression of Spirit training and how quickly it goes, uh, I'd say Spirit training is a little bit more uh, challenging and demanding on, uh, you know, your side as a trainee. Um, uh, I, uh, you know, the instructors, most of the instructors here at Delta are either current, uh, Delta pilots, or they are retired guys who uh, have flown for Delta and uh, they're just doing it for fun uh, because they love teaching uh, and they bring a lot of experience into the table. Uh, they've flown for many, many years. And they bring a lot of uh, their knowledge and it's it's a pleasure to listen to them, to learn from them. Um, and um, you know, we, we get paired with different instructors, uh, almost every simulator, which is also great because you see, you know, each, what each has to bring to, to, to you and their techniques and best practices to fly the airplane. Yeah. Everyone can teach you something else that you can pick up on. Like that can be good and bad. Say maybe if you're struggling and you drive, jive well with one instructor and then all of a sudden they change it up and you could have some, uh, It'd be hard for you, but if you can take out of it that you're learning something new from each instructor, then you're definitely going to be set up for success. And that definitely goes to show. I'm sure they might do that on purpose because you're never going to fly with the same person every single time. So they need to make sure that you can operate, that you can you can do your job under kind of any condition, whether it's stressful or whether you're on top of the world and having your best day ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, how far along are you in your training right now? 
So I was uh, about a week from a check ride when uh, they stopped everything. They closed the training center for Corona. Oh my gosh, that stinks. So what do you do? How do you keep up with your flows? Are you like, did you set up like a paper cockpit and you're just like practicing your flows and practicing everything? Or what are you doing to kind of get ready for them to call you back in? Right. So I got my paper tiger. I've been reviewing flows. Uh, I've been reviewing the profiles. And then uh, we heard that we might even have to rebid and get assigned a new aircraft. So oh my gosh. At that, yeah. So at that point I was like, well, is it really helpful to keep studying the 7.3? But uh, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I would love to stay on the 737. The, the, the training I got to do on it. I was starting to really enjoy flying it. Uh, we'll see what happens. Well, the good news is if you do a three bid, I mean, I'm sure the 737 or the 320 will still be probably the more junior airplane. I'm guessing maybe the Airbus 220. I don't know, but that's so new. It could kind of go more senior, but like we talked about the 717s and Mad Dogs seem to be on their way out. So I doubt they'd want to put you back in that plane, right? Yeah, I don't think they would uh, do that. Uh, I think the Mad Dog is on the way out. Uh, so there are some people in our class who got assigned the Mad Dog and they were training for it. Uh, and they also um, stopped them. And I, I doubt they were going back to it. Yeah. yeah. So this is kind of a difficult question for, for you to answer and talk about. But as the industry is, as you see the industry right now, kind of where you are being very junior on a uh, seniority list, what is kind of your mindset right now in a situation like this? What's getting you through every single day? Kind of how are you handling this and uh, what are you hearing? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think nobody knows what's going to happen. I know for certain I'm going to have to to be on payroll until October. Uh, and um, after that deadline, uh, being like you said, so junior, it's, it's uh, concerning for sure. Um, I think um, Delta is in a good position. Uh, in relation to the rest of the airlines and uh, they definitely know what they're doing. Uh, and uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I play on a daily basis. I don't think we can stress out too much about it. I am thinking about other options for sure. Uh, if it comes down to a furlough, uh, hoping for the best, like I said. Yeah. I mean, that's really all you can do in this situation is hope for the best. Uh, if you go on the forums and if you start reading everything and if you, you're just going to drive yourself absolutely insane. So the best thing you can do right now, and I mean, this speaks for me too, because I'm pretty junior where I am too. It's just, you got to focus on what you can control. You got to be the best version of yourself. You got to be ready to go fly. You got to be ready to take a check ride in your case or scenario. If they call you up like, Hey, we need you. Like how quick can you be ready? You just, you, you have to be prepared. You have to be ready. You have to just do the best you can to stay sane and to not focus on kind of the negative parts. But at the same part, at the same time, you also kind of have to be smart and you have to prepare yourself and make sure that it doesn't come to a shock to you. Exactly. You know, don't pay attention to rumors until they're official. I think it's uh, the main takeaway because everybody's saying different things uh, until you have official communication. You know, like you said, um, don't take the negative aspect of it and be ready uh, because when they call you back, they will sure expect you to have reviewed your flows and stayed on top of them. If I get the 737 and they will try to minimize every cost possible for the foreseeable future. They won't really like if you show up unprepared or needing extra simulators because you just completely forgot about everything, you know? Yeah. Nothing would be more impressive than you going back, be like, no, I don't, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, like I'll go through your, your pre-check ride simulator and like, all right, yeah, you're good to go. It's like, yeah, no, be like, I've been... They'll be like, thank you. you know? yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I know, Thanks right? saving us money. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that'd be a great thing to do. Uh, so, all right. So I have one more question kind of before I go into the rapid fire section. What, so... 
everyone listening to this, including myself, is kind of envious of where you are. I mean, I know the situation that what's going on isn't the best, but at the end of the day, you're 23 years old and you're at Delta or you're 23 and you got hired at Delta. Like you have a very bright future ahead of yourself so you're, or you're ahead of yourself and you're going to have a great career. I know this sucks right now, but you're still going to have a good career where you are. What kind of advice would you give to someone that's younger right now? Maybe someone that's 16. It could even be someone that lives in Lima, Peru that wants to be a pilot and they want to go do exactly what you're doing. What kind of advice would you would you give to someone of that age, kind of prepare themselves and put themselves in the best situation possible and market themselves the best way to get where you are or to maybe get an American at 23 or United? What would you what would you tell them? Yeah, I think um common trade from you know the podcast you've done and for people who have been successful is never stop dreaming, never stop um you know, working hard towards your your dreams. Uh you will encounter obstacles. Uh I I was having a hard time, like I said, with my crosswind landings and there were days I wasn't my at my best. You can't let those days defeat you, you can't let those days discourage you. Um find opportunities to uh Put yourself out there uh, to volunteer, to assume roles of leadership, uh, of management, anything that um, can develop those skills outside of flying. Uh, those are things that recruiters are looking for in uh, in a candidate, especially at you know the major level, uh, the legacy airline level, and um, do it because you, you you love to do it. Um, I don't just do something because you want to build your resume do it because you're enjoying what you're doing and you're passionate about it. I was passionate about everything I did at the university when I was either uh, flight instructing or I was uh, a part of the quality assurance department we had there and all those things I enjoyed doing. I never thought they would bring me to where I am today. Um, and it just happened because I was having fun while I was doing them, being professional. And the aviation community is pretty tight. You never know who's going to be your key to success the next day, you know? You never know. I've heard many stories about people flying with, they were a captain, they're flying with the first officer. And then 10 years later, they're the first officer flying with a captain who used to be their first officer, you know, or their their first officers and hiring them at Delta or American. So you never know who you're going to interact with that you could rely on and you want to, to make sure they know the best version of yourself. And I really like how you said, uh, just keep going when you're talking about your training. I mean, everyone's going to face a day where the adversity is going to be really hard on them. And you're going to be like, dude, I can't do this. Like, this is just so tough. Like, I don't think I'll ever get over this. But if anyone's listened to the podcast or multiple podcasts, you hear everyone has had that situation and everyone has had to been faced with that adversity and they have come through it. So you can come through it as well. And then I also love that you said that just love what you're doing. People can tell. People can tell pretty early when someone's in it for the wrong reasons. And some people might be able to trick you, but eventually true colors always do show. So be in it for the right reasons. Really, truly care about helping people if you want to If you want to do that, because that's really going to pay off in the future if you can be genuine. I agree. Yeah. All right, man. I have the rapid fire section for you. So you're pretty much done with all the questions. Congratulations. <laughs> all right, here we go. Rapid fire questions. These are just uh, a couple aviation based questions and they're pretty easy. I mean, some of them might take a little bit of thought, but I want you to say the quickest and first thing that comes to your mind. So if you have just uh, whatever the first thought is, no matter what it is, just say it and no need for an explanation. Okay. All right. What is your favorite airline airplane? Uh, Delta triple seven. What is uh, your favorite corporate jet? Falcon seven X. What about general aviation aircraft? So like a smaller piston airplane. I'd say PA 28. Ugliest airplane you've ever seen. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, 
That's a hard one, actually. I don't think there's such a thing as an ugly airplane, to be honest uh, with debatable, you. Debatable, but yeah. <laughs> no, some some are. I mean, all of them have their uh, their reasons for being ugly, but there are some ugly airplanes out there. But we can come back to it or we can skip it. Oh, yeah, let's skip it. All right. Uh, what is uh, one of the hardest approaches you've ever had to fly? <laughs> Into Minneapolis. Uh, it was a cold day with snow, blowing snow, uh, down to minimums on uh, 175. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? I'd say more about the industry in the U.S., how the industry worked. I was pretty clueless when I came over to the U.S. about the airlines, the regionals, majors. I had no idea. So maybe having somebody to uh, explain to me those terms would have been beneficial. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? They can either be living or they could have passed on. Uh, love to talk to the Wright brothers. To be honest you with you. I don't think anyone's ever said that. I agree. That'd be a good one. <laughs> what is uh, your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, how I can, you know, be able to travel the world. Um, we, we came back to it initially. I love traveling. I did it since I was a kid. I had the opportunity to do it. And um, that just um, makes it so much fun. Favorite airport to land at? Uh, so far, it's been Peru, Lima. I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to guess Peru. Uh, what's your least favorite airport to land at? The airport I didn't really enjoy flying to us, uh, Haiti. Any reason for it? Just uh, difficult or just a lot going on over there? Yeah, the terrain, uh, the airport itself, it's just, no, it doesn't the nicest airport, to be honest. <laughs> Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Uh, IFR. All right, let's say um, you are finally flying the line at Delta. You're doing a quick little turn. You're going from, you're in Atlanta and you're doing a quick turn. You have to grab some food and you have like 30 minutes to go grab the food. What's your go-to airport food? Chipotle. Chipotle. All right, I like it. Your captain might not appreciate that later though. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, cities? Beaches. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Other than the airline you fly for, what is your favorite airline livery? Um, I'd say I would say I really like the uh, Latam livery. All right, that's a good one. Uh, would you rather fly one long trip or would you rather fly multiple short trips in a day? Short trips. Biggest regret in your career so far, if you have one? Um, I don't have one, to be honest. That's good. What's the biggest win of your career so far? Having stayed in the U.S. and pursuing a career here. Would you rather fly a CRJ or an ERJ? ERJ. Piper or Cessna? Piper. Favorite airline outside of the one you fly for? Or Latin? <laughs> or Latin, right? Um, Swiss. All right, cool. All right, Sergio, you have passed the podcast. I don't know why I always say pass, but you have well, I can't talk. You have successfully completed the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thanks for coming on, man. It's really cool to talk to you and and hear your story and just kind of hear where you came from and you had a dream and you made that dream possible. So I think a lot of people resonate with that and a lot of people appreciate that. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, sharing with uh, the people who listen to you. And I think you're doing a great job of talking uh, to pilots and spreading aviation. I appreciate it. That's the goal. We need more pilots in aviation. There will still be a time where we're going to have a pilot shortage and we need more pilots. So don't let this discourage anyone from becoming a pilot right now because we will still need you further down the road. So we will. Yeah. So keep flying, keep the dream alive. And uh, yeah, Sergio, I appreciate it, man. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Stay safe.
Aviation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Episode 110 is a wrap with Pilot Sergio, the youngest pilot to be hired by Delta. I mean, that is incredible what he was able to do and how he was able to navigate through this path and, and make his path and follow his dreams and goals and just make it happen. I hope you are encouraged and inspired to make your goals happen, make your dreams come true, just like Sergio did. If you enjoyed this episode, like I said before, check us out on our website, pilotthepilothq.com. We have all our links for support for a shop, for the episodes, whatever it may be you want, go to that website. Aviation, share this with all your friends. I hope you guys are all starting to fly again. Uh, my job seems to be picking up just a little bit. We are we're definitely flying a lot more than we were the last couple of weeks. So that's good news. I hope that is the same for you as well. Uh, as always, though, stay safe, wash your hands, and happy flying. <laughs>